Liz is going to come and read to us now a very familiar story of Mary and Martha. And whilst she's reading this account to you, which most of you will know quite well, I want to invite you to especially listen for a short phrase from the text that you would choose as a title for, the, for a sermon on this passage. Okay, so whilst you're listening, keep your ear out. Which phrase would I pick out of this text to use as a title for a sermon on this story? Just finding Luke chapter 10. So this is Luke chapter 10, and we're reading verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz, for reading. So my name is Lissy. I'm a lay member of this congregation, and I will be sharing a few thoughts with you on this passage this morning. Let's just briefly open our hearts to the Lord as we listen. Dearest Lord Jesus, we want to see you more fully, to walk more closely in step with you, and to love you more deeply. So would you give us the grace to allow ourselves to be open that we might do those things. Amen. So, I am curious about whether you found a little phrase in there that you might pick out as your sermon title. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands, if it's appropriate. But if you chose a phrase around, something around Mary sat at the Lord's feet, or Mary sat listening to what he said, or Jesus' words about Mary um, choosing what is better, few things are needed, indeed only one, if any of those kinds of bits of the text were your sermon title, let me see a show of hands. That is a pretty good showing. Thank you. Um, I, th I was hedging my bets that most of you would raise your hands for that, and a lot of you have. And I do think that this little story primarily po points us to the fact that Jesus uh, really commends Mary for choosing to sit and listen to what Mary is, to what Jesus is saying, to sit and behold her Lord, and that this precious act, this beautiful calling, 
is really the only essential thing. In fact, St. Paul goes on to say that in 1 Thessalonians, he writes to the church there, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So again, Paul is kind of reiterating this sense that to always, only have our hearts lifted to the Lord, to be in prayer, to be in focus on him, is the only thing that we need to be doing. So really, guys, that's the whole sermon said. <laughs> Talk over, moving on. Um, no, I think, I, I, I obviously, that's kind of the obvious point here, and I have a few more of my own thoughts that I will share with you. But the first thing I really want to say about this is that whilst that's such a kind of like um, beautiful and noble and spiritual call, it's also like a really profoundly difficult thing to reach for, to be always in prayer and always at every moment with our hearts turned to the Lord, no matter what you're doing, if you're praying even, or cooking, or meeting somebody who's really winding you up, like Martha met Mary, to always have our ter hearts turned towards the Lord. And personally, I have to say, I'm definitely not quite yet there yet, uh, despite the fact that I have a podcast called Contemplative at Home, and despite the fact that Jonathan asked me to preach this sermon because he thinks I'm contemplative, and um, despite the fact that I even have a little room in my garden where I go pray, most mornings. I find this really, really way beyond me, I'm going to be honest, to be always in adoration and attentive presence to the Lord in my heart. So we're going to have a little chat about what this call means to be focused in our inner selves on the Lord. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with T Teresa of Avila. She's one of the mystics from the 15th century, one of my own personal contemplative heroes. She does suggest that sort of the ultimate aim of the spiritual journey is to become in our most mature state in a place where no matter what we are doing, our heart is turned in focused attention and praise of the Lord. Um, so apparently there are a few humans who reach that state of spiritual maturity. Personally, very far off. No doubt that a few of you are further down this road than I am. So the way that I've been thinking about Mary and Martha this last little while is this. Rather than kind of saying like, oh, she's so Mary, or I'm so Martha, or I, whatever, is really to think of both of these women as kind of representing different parts of each one of us. Each one of us carrying within us the Mary and the Martha. So I have a little model I want to share with you. Again, take this if it's helpful. Don't take this if it's not. Again, I'm in no way an expert or have any real academic sort of background coming to this. This is just sort of the way that I think about it, my own personal take on it. But there's this sense that each of us has this part of ourselves, which is often called the ego. Um, sometimes it's called the social self or the false self, but it's the part of us um, that kind of develops. Well, I'm going to look at some, a slide in a minute. So we have the ego, the, the social self, and then kind of as opposed to that, we have our soul or our essential self. So we're just going to have a look at this slide where I've written down a few thoughts on my understanding of kind of this dichotomy between the two parts of ourselves. So let's just look at this ego or social self or false self. 
this is the part of ourselves that is more external, the part of ourselves that is capable and competent and productive and able to perform, sometimes um, more guarded, appropriately so, often a bit more critical, perhaps more out of the rational part of our minds we come to this ego or external self. And this is the part of ourselves that's sort of really focused on achievements, focused on controlling the process so that we can control the outcome. I hope that makes a little bit of sense to you. This is how this works in my brain. Um, ultimately, the ego really wants to kind of focus on myself and my own abilities and competencies and is ultimately interested in my own success, my own status, my own power, and my own control, okay? So all of us have this part of ourselves, and whilst we often think of somebody as like having a big ego, being a difficult person, or maybe the ego being a bad part of ourselves, in fact, it's a really important part of ourselves. If our children never developed any of these aspects of their character, we'd be a little bit concerned for them. Growing a healthy ego is a key part of human development. However, there's also this sense that it needs to be held in check with this other part of ourselves, this maybe deeper part of ourselves, what might be called the essential self, or the true self, or our spirit, our soul. And in this part of ourselves is a more maybe interior part of ourselves, where we perhaps, rather than being fixed on controlling the way things go to um, sort of ensure that my credibility is intact, we have the freedom to be more creative and playful and open and curious and intuitive. So where the ego may need to ultimately focus on my own success and status and power and control, the essential self is released to be more at home with awe and wonder and can ultimately rest in an identity as one who is loved. So we'll just go on to the next slide. Carl Jung, who helped to develop this model of the ego, talked about the first half of life being devoted to the healthy development of the ego and the second half of life being devoted to the letting go of all that the ego is about. And those of you who are Richard Rohr fans here will be thinking of his book, Falling Upward. But um, I do think that as we move more into that essential self, that true self, we can maybe just go back to that first slide there if that's okay. As we move more into that true self part of ourselves, we have more space to grow in capacity to know and experience and have intimacy and rest in a loving attentiveness with the Lord. There's more capacity for our spiritual selves, for our deeper encounter with God, as we move more into that creative, playful, intuitive part of ourselves, and away from the part of ourselves that is needing to control and perform and look the part, or feel that we're on some sort of ground that has status as we can move away from that and just let things be and rest in our belovedness my instinct here is that there's more room for us to meet in a deeper part of ourselves with the lord 
I also can't help but thinking, I don't know if Andy, you were here when Andy preached a few weeks ago at the end of uh, Luke chapter 9. A lot of what he said, I was just taking notes because it was like, this is Mary and Martha, this is Mary and Martha, this is Mary and Martha. Um, but one of the things that he talked about is this idea that the gospel bids us come and die. The gospel bids us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I can't help but think that part of what we're dying to, what the gospel bids us to come and die to, is this ego part of ourselves. To die to a self that wants to center me, that wants to, to be ensuring my own glory and success. To let that go and move more into this place of openness. It's about letting go of that control and moving towards freedom. So I wonder if you can see how Mary and Martha are sort of different parts of this picture that I'm painting here. And of course, Mary in this story represents um, the social self, the external self, the ego part. Um, so we can probably turn the slide off now, that thank you so much. So let's have a little think about dear Martha, who is actually every single one of us. Here she is in this moment. Let's have a little think about what's happening for her. She is about to host um, somebody she hugely respects, who's bringing to her house a big group of people, okay? So someone she has a huge devotion and respect to is bringing a large group of people to her house, and it's her responsibility to welcome them, to feed them, to host them, to maybe put them up for the night, and there's so much at play here. She wants, um, she wants it to be nice, she wants to honor them, she wants them to eat well, she wants them to enjoy the food, she wants them to feel relaxed, she wants them to feel refreshed, she wants them to feel honored and loved, and she's the head of this household, so ultimately, whatever happens here falls back on her. And because she thinks really highly of them, she's probably hoping that they'll think highly of her too. So there's a lot at stake for her here in this moment. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to host a meal for a very large group of people, but if you have, you can maybe cast your mind back to that last sort of 10 or 15 minutes before the food goes out on the table, and just what the energy in that moment is like. You're thinking about this, and you're thinking about that, and you're remembering to get the set of the oven, and somebody's put the table there, and somebody's asking you a question, you have towels in the bathroom, and it's all happening. And I also don't know if perhaps in your house there's somebody in your house or your circle of friends who in that moment of intensity you would expect to sort of be right there next to you, helping you handle it all, and then if you stepped into the next room and found them sort of doe-eyed, <laughs> you would explode with annoyance and frustration and anger and be like, oh, you're missing, ah, you're missing the point, something, ah, okay? I think we've all know what that feels like. So we're just gonna have my slide with the blue circle on it, please. Mary is in this moment where she is seeing what's in front of her and it's filling her view. All she can see is filling that bowl, getting the table set, making sure the cushion's there, getting this out of the oven, talking to the people, answering, it's all she can see. It's all happening, it's right there, it's all in that moment, it has to be done, and it's everything. Now if we go on to the next slide, she kind of steps into the room, and here's her little sister Mary missing the point. She's off-piste, okay? There's something big happening here. It all has to be right in this moment, and Mary is kind of like off-camera, not clued in to this big thing that's happening, 
missing it, okay? However, if we go on to the next slide, what Mary is actually looking at is a much, 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 much bigger picture than what's happening in that very moment for Martha. And Mary is sort of seeing beyond Martha's vision and seeing this much bigger, deeper, fuller thing, which Jesus is also sort of vibing with, <laughs> okay? So she's just in a really different mode. And I don't think that Jesus or Mary are off-piste here. It's not like they're going, oh, Martha, there's no such thing as hunger. There's no such thing as dirty. Di you know, it's not like they're on a different planet. Martha's deal is within the picture. We live in human bodies. These practical moments happen. Things have to be done. But they're just not. They're within a bigger context. And it's the bigger context that Mary was looking at. I don't know if you remember Psalm 121 where the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? But there's kind of this idea that when we're in the middle of things, and like we all know that we've all been in those moments that are anxious or stressful or overwhelming or things just feel really big and they feel really on top of us for a number of different reasons. We've all been there. But we're invited to lift our eyes up to the mountains. The psalmist says, lift your eyes up to that far distant, beautiful landscape and remember that there's a bigger picture. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who has such a bigger perspective on anything that might be going on for us in any given moment. And he also mentioned in his sermon, that same sermon a few weeks ago, this sense of posture rather than perfection, posture rather than perfection. And I think we can see how this fits here. It's like Martha is focused on getting this perfect meal out at the perfect time because she cares so much about these guests and she wants it all to be right. But the posture, and you can even see how when I'm talking about that, like when I'm focused on something and I'm trying to control it, it's like this. But the posture we're invited to is this much bigger perspective. So when I shift my perspective, my whole uh, posture changes. And I can let go of that need for perfection. And I don't want to belittle anything, because we all carry really challenging dynamics. But I wonder if somewhere in here is a little clue about how we navigate stressful moments, how we navigate every moment of our lives, something about perspective and posture. The other thing I want to say, thank you for the slides, we're finished with them now. The other thing I want to say is that um, I actually believe that Jesus really, truly loves, who am I gonna say? Mary is the obvious answer, but I'm actually gonna say Martha. I believe that Jesus really, really loves Martha. Let me tell you three reasons why. The first reason is that um, his, Jesus' relationship with this particular family, the, these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, is pretty unique. We don't see many other families in the gospel where Jesus visits their house on multiple occasions. We have this visit, we have the visit where uh, Lazarus is raised from the tomb, and then we have the visit uh, just before his death. He stops and stays with them. So these guys are actually his really good friends. Jesus is friends 
with these girls, with Mary and Martha. And if you look at the text around the story of Lazarus and his death and resurrection, the way that Mary and Martha speak to Jesus and Jesus to them is pretty informal. There's friendship there. There's intimacy. There's a, a, a closeness of relationship. So it's likely that Jesus actually knows Martha really well and is probably really, really fond of her because we tend to be quite fond of our friends, don't we? But I wonder if we can see that as a, as a little hopeful sign that um, Jesus is actually loving and fond towards us even when we're kind of lost in these moments of ego and trying to prove ourselves and trying to have it all together and trying to look right and trying to be impressive, even in that state, Jesus loves us, loves you. Secondly, we see in this text that um, Jesus repeats her name. Martha, he says. Martha. He says it twice. There are a few times throughout scripture where somebody's name is said twice, and quite often um, it's a sign of calling something really important out, or a sign of love, a sign of endearment. Again, I think we can see it as a sign of intimacy here. Just imagine him saying this to her, Martha, Martha. You know, he's calling to her heart because he loves her, he cares about her. He doesn't value Mary over her, and he doesn't say, Martha, Martha, why can't you be more like Mary? He does, that's not what he says. No. He's like, look, just look. She's chosen something really precious. That's all he's saying to her. He wants her to see with her heart, too. And the final thing I really like about this, it kind of, I was thinking of Zacchaeus. Do you know when Jesus meets Zacchaeus and he's like, Decision is made. I'm having dinner at your house tonight. <laughs> He's kind of already said that to Martha. Martha's trying to make this perfect thing happen, to be impressive. And Jesus is like, I've already come to your house. I've already chosen to have dinner with you. You don't have to impress me with the timing of this or the beauty of it or the intricacy of it. Just, I'm here. I want to be here. I've chosen to be here because I already love you. I already love you. And I think, guys, that if we can somehow grasp that in those parts of ourselves that feel like we have to sort of prove ourselves or be a little bit impressive or make it look right or stand on solid ground, it's if we can just remember in those places that actually we are already loved, that is already our identity, that we are the beloved, of the king of the whole universe, it's enough. That is enough. It's all we need. And we can begin then to open up that control, to release the need to try to have it all together and prove it all. Jesus says to, Mar to Martha, you are worried and you're anxious about many things. Like, I get worried and anxious about loads of things. I would guess a lot of you do on occasion as well. And this word that he uses for worried is um, also a word that, he, that Paul uses in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything. And guess what Paul pairs that little invitation with here? Don't be anxious, don't be worried about anything other option, the rest of the verse says, but in everything 
with prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. So it's kind of this same um, balance again. It's like rather than being anxious, give it to the Lord in everything. Give it to the Lord. And here we are back at this kind of invitation again, that at every moment of our day, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, that we are offering it to the Lord, that we are giving ourselves to the Lord, that we're devoting our hearts and our spirits and our attitude to the Lord. You will laugh at me because while I was thinking through what I wanted to say to you this morning, I was like, okay, so how do we, how do we get there? Like, how do we get 100% of the time, like, always perfectly focused on God at every minute of every day, what do I tell them to do? And it was like, hello, that's your ego that wants to be perfect and know the answer and have 100%. It's not going to happen because we're just, it's, if it does, it's grace. If it does, it's grace. So I think the answer here is like, okay, how do I lean into that essential self, that creative and curious and playful part of myself, and start to wonder about how can I more and more grow into being attentive and open and uh, gazing at the Lord in lieu of or in the midst of getting the dinner out on the table and welcoming my guests or doing whatever it is that's intense and stressful for me right now. I'm just going to say that one more time because it's kind of my climactic point. How can I step into that creative and curious and open and playful part of myself as I explore how to more, just, just a little bit more, just one step more, open my heart and gaze at the Lord in the midst of whatever feels stressful or pressured or like my status is linked to it or like my sense of self is linked to it or like my sense of security. How can I move that into a space where I'm holding it in the context of the fact that Jesus already loves me, that he's already right here under my own roof. So I'm just going to offer us a couple of minutes just to be quiet and have a little think. I hope that bit hasn't been too rambly and silly. I hope you've picked maybe just one thing out of there that's helpful for you. But we're just going to be quiet for a couple of minutes together. So I invite you, if you're comfortable, to either just soften your gaze or close your eyes if that's comfortable for you. And just go into that inner self. And there's absolutely no judgment if you don't feel very comfortable in your inner self. Just whatever that feels like for you, as much as you're able to, to ask yourself, is there something in my life that I am trying to prove or control or show myself to be very capable and competent in? Is there somewhere that I'm very guarded and trying to control the outcome? So if something comes to mind, I just really invite you to be very kind to yourself there. There's no judgment. This is called the human condition. But just hold it. Maybe you can even imagine holding it in an open palm, just letting it be what it is.
Or maybe you notice something that you're sort of gripping onto quite tightly that you don't really want to let go of. Or maybe there's something that you feel like, you know, I am holding this really tightly, I'm trying to control this, but I can maybe just release a little bit of my control around this right now. And I want to invite you to imagine that you can hear the Lord saying your name, Martha. Martha. You let the Lord say your name to you. You are loved. You are precious. I'm inviting you into fullness of life. I invite you to play. I invite you to dance. I invite you to trust me, says the Lord. Maybe you even imagine yourself, if something particular did come to mind, imagine yourself just offering part of it or all of it to this Lord who loves you so much. And if you want to just imagine the Lord here with you for the rest of this service, maybe you imagine that Jesus is sitting beside you or is just standing down at the front of the stage. And as you slowly bring your awareness back to the room, if your eyes are closed, you can slowly blink them open. But we're going to move towards communion now. And I want to invite you just to practice as we do, as we share the communion together. Just practice letting your heart be gazing at the Lord like Mary's was. So just keep an attitude of heart presence on God's presence during the whole next 10 or 15 minutes.